okay. okay. How have you been? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, uh, tomorrow's Friday, so uh, that's always a good thing. Yeah, I have to work Saturday. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Un- unless the hurricane just blows everything away, then you can just forget about that. I don't think that's going to happen. No, probably not. It, it may dump a uh, shitload of rain on us, but uh, yeah. that's probably the extent of it as far as as far inland as we are. Yeah, I just think we'll get a lot of rain. I don't, and I think maybe some places that normally flood are going to flood anyway. Yep. Um, yep. I'm. Yeah. I'm curious to see where it hits on the coast. How bad the storm surge is going to be? Right. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at it today, and it it, it looked like it might go even as even go into Mexico, like around the va- the valley. Oh, really? Well, you know, it's always weird because it, you know, it always seems like at the last minute it makes a course correction and it doesn't hit anywhere near where you know they had forecast that it was going to make landfall right right mm-hmm. and i you know and at first i was like oh a cat three that's nothing but then they were saying that like rita was a cat three and uh katrina was a cat three and i thought katrina was a cat five um, now, yeah new orleans probably would have been a wipe off the map completely had it been a cat five yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy to think about because I think wasn't um, Ike a Cat Five? Uh, God, I don't remember, man. There been it, so many tore but... up Galveston bad. So yeah, um, yeah, Galveston's um, yeah definitely seen a lot of bad storms over the uh, past century or so. Yeah, my sure. folks, you know, they live between Houston and Galveston. Mm-hmm. And even though they live probably at least 30 miles from Galveston, maybe even further. Right. Um, in like the floodplain. Oh, um, okay. So there's always a chance. But we've seen a lot of heavy rain at that house and it's never mm. knock wood come inside. Right. Uh, it's come damn close, but it, it never has come inside. So, oh, you've uh, actually, mom, okay. You've actually seen it come close to, uh, Getting up to um, house level, huh? Yeah, it's come up into the yard, up to the very bottom of the house, wow. and the house is slightly elevated. Like there's a, there's probably a four inch step up, oh. and it's come like almost to the door jam. But ooh, that's uh, spooky. That was a, and that was when we first moved into Texas, into sometime in the eighties. I don't remember what the uh. big. Uh huh. One of the big '80s hurricanes was. They all run together. Oh, I know. I'm not. I'm not one of those people that could just you know instantly recall. Of course, I guess if you were a person who was seriously affected by a particular hurricane, you would definitely remember that name. Right. Yeah. Like I remember when I was in college and on the college radio station. And my college radio station wasn't a fun college radio station where you could just went in and played the uh, whatever record you liked. Uh-huh. Mine was ran like a real radio station was uh-huh um good and and in 19 i guess it was 83 i think it was alicia that hit i went down to my college radio station and was on the air with a bunch of other folks who worked there because we thought that would be you know that was kind of cool to be uh-huh. part of the team on the air when the when the when there was bad weather right and um uh i at the time i lived in an apartment building uh, and we're on the air reading news copy going back and forth between two or three of us and the other guy starts reading this story about an apartment complex right oh. near where mine was, uh-huh. where uh, a tornado touched down and, and tore up the apartment complex. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's my apartment complex. Whoa. So uh-huh. I, uh, 
I, uh, you know, I did. The, I was there the rest of the night because the weather was so bad we couldn't really leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, went back the next day thinking I'm going to get there and my where I live is going to just be gone. Right. Um. And and it tore up all. It, it like it went right behind the house. It was a bunch of. It was an apartment complex with a bunch of ba- fenced in backyards, and it tore all the fencing away. Um. Oh shit. Okay. So it yeah, came yeah. pretty damn close to uh, wrecking your domicile. Yeah, but didn't didn't break any windows. Didn't put water in the house. Huh. Everything inside was fine. It just destroyed a fence. Yeah, Damn. but it was Holy weird sh- to be like on the air and someone's reading a news story and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's right where I live. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, that's got to be creepy as hell. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking we'll just have two more of these and then Twin Peaks will be completed and we can take a little break if you want. Wow. A break. Break. We can't take any breaks. <laughs> well, it won't be too long after Twin Peaks is done. Just uh-huh. two weeks after that, that we'll be in San Francisco for eight days. Oh, well, not not well. just San Francisco, but California. Oh, good point. Okay, yeah. So that well, that's very true. Yeah, that does definitely put us in break mode for at least a week, a week or two. Yeah, right. Yeah, could be. So yeah, but uh, I don't know how you doing. You getting tired of editing? Is it getting to be just a big hassle? No, not really. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of it's fun actually. Um, you know, how's it how's it having to talk to me once a week? Is that just about ready to drive you crazy? Oh no, it's, <laughs> I, <laughs> I yes, it's, I can't stand it. It's horrible. <laughs> no, of course not, man. It's it's uh, it's a high point of my week. Ah, that's sweet of you to say. Well, well, it's only sweet. Well, it is sweet, but it's also true. So there oh, you go. Well, that's that's nice. I. I I just you know I know sometimes it, it it must seem like a hassle to have to edit these things. Uh, well, I you know I don't see it that way because when the finished product is up, it's always entertaining to to hear the way it sounds. Because uh, well, I enjoy that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely like listening to it once you post it and then putting some things online on Facebook and Twitter to kind of promote it and absolutely i mean that's that is fun yeah that's uh that's a huge and important part of you know getting the word out so people can you know will actually tune in and uh it seems like our our the number of people that are uh, accessing our content is growing I've seen the the trend. It's well, like, that's good. Yeah, it's gone from like you know, say a hundred people a week accessing our content to like you know six or seven hundred not a week a month. I mean to say, yeah. So wow. So that's that's pretty, a nice little yeah. growth pattern there. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, that's you know, since yeah, from January to now, it's a six hundred percent growth rate in the number of people accessing our content. So I, I think wow. it's, I think that's cool. Yeah, very well, that's cool. awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, uh, you know where mm-hmm. we we've been doing these Twin Peaks shows, and w- once we, I thought about asking you this week if you wanted to do like the Twin Peaks at the beginning, and then maybe do some other things that, at the end. Like it's been forever since we did People Who Died, and a bunch of important people have died. Um, oh, that's but, true. Yeah, but it's you know it's a lot to do every week. Yeah, you know. Well, we already kind of add additional content, like right now at the beginning of our. Stuff, our, yeah. our pre-show stuff. So, I mean, you know, there's nothing that could uh, preclude us from doing 
some other stuff, you know, at the beginning. Here. Yeah. Some big names that have died uh, since the last time we did like a regular episode where we had that particular segment, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's been, you know, uh, I watched, I think we talked about maybe on, on the last episode or a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. I wa- I've watched uh, a couple, two or three, um, you know, we talked about The Handmaid's Tale and and I can't remember what the other one was now, but, you know, TV shows on Hulu that I've watched. Right. And yeah. And I, I think I told you I was watching that James Franco one that was written by Stephen King, ba- well, based on a Stephen King book called 112263. Uh huh. We yeah. talk about. I think you had you had mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how much detail you went into it. Uh, yeah. It's it's. I I watched it. I finished it. I really liked it. It wasn't what I expected it to be, but I really thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um. Well, that's kind of a good thing when it's not. Yeah. It's not what you expected it to be, and you liked it. So yeah. Yeah, I heard some people didn't like it because it does kind of the you know it's about James Franco's character is is going through a time portal where he's going to try and um, hmm. uh, stop Kennedy from being assassinated. Oh. And, hmm. mm-hmm. and that acts as the backdrop of the, of the show, of the plot. Mm-hmm. But there's uh, so many other things that go on that if someone was just like, I just, I just want to see the story of him going back and trying to stop Ken- the Oswald. Right. You'd be disappointed because it does veer off in other stuff into other storylines and plots. But to me, they were just as interesting and, and the characters were just as good. And um, so I wasn't disappointed when it did that. But if somebody was like a real assassination buff. Uh huh. That's not the show for you. It's probably you're probably <laughs> going to be disappointed. Yeah. OK. It's kind of like, you know, I was talking about I watched that show Stonewall a couple weeks ago. Yeah. That I. That I liked, I thought was okay, was good. It wasn't the greatest movie I ever saw, mm-hmm. but it really isn't about Stonewall. It's about it's more about this boy's story who happens to to be in New York when Stonewall happens, and he's uh, there, and okay. you know he's a part of it supposedly. But okay. you know, it just acts as the backdrop for the story of this kid's story, and that's kind of eleven twenty two. 63 the kennedy assassination is kind of the backdrop for the story right they call that historical fiction yeah it's like yeah uh, a made-up story that's surrounded yeah that yeah like you said has the backdrop of of actual events yeah what's cool about this and this is a little bit of a spoiler but this is within Mm -hmm. the first 15 minutes you find this out yeah is there's a time portal that someone else has accessed that, and that and that other person tell, tells Franco's character about it. And the cool thing about it is, is it sends you back to the same point in time every time. So in uh, this mm-hmm. in this case, it sends him back to uh, 1960, three years before the assassination. Oh, and so, okay. In order in order to to that he finds out that when you come back, it's it's just two minutes. No matter how long you stay in that timeline. When you come back, only two minutes have passed in in your lifetime time. Oh wow! Okay, huh? So if so, if you want to go back and stop the assassination of Kennedy, you have to go back in time and take three years waiting to get there. Mm-hmm. Every time. Okay. Um, now, do you get those three years back in uh, biological age when you come back? Or well, presumably, you, because when okay. you get back, it's only two minutes later in okay. modern time or real time or whatever you want to call that. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. 
So, and then, yeah, anyway, I won't get too much into it, but it, I really, it was really interesting. I thought that was an interesting idea for a time travel plot that mm-hmm. it wasn't just, oh, you could go anywhere in time. You know, if you want to go back and, and do something to stop Kennedy being assassinated, you're going to have to go back and hang out for three years. Yeah, that's quite and, an investment. Yeah, I would say yeah, in time, right? You know, it, requires some patience and then of course things always always veer off from you know like anything any plans you make always veer off at some point whether you want it to or not yeah yeah what kind of disruption to the uh uh, space-time continuum would can you possibly make by going back in time and possibly stopping the assassination right i mean it it changes er everything from that point right and that was kind of the interesting thing too was the person who who shows him the time portal and how it works Mm -hmm. tells him you know you go in it's this particular time every time you you can stay there as long as you want when you come back only two minutes has passed but if you go back in the time portal again Mm -hmm. everything you did on your last trip resets oh okay hmm all right. Yeah. So if you if you went back and assassinated and and you know stopped the assassination of Kennedy right. and then came back and and then went back through the time portal again again, uh-huh. Kennedy's going to get assassinated like he did in the first time uh, unless you do something again to change that. Okay. Well. Anyway, I can see how how this one's going to go then, uh, or possibly where he he goes back in time, he stops the assassination, comes back to. Modern times realize everything has gone to shit for some reason, and so he goes back again to reset everything, and then why wouldn't you? And then kills himself. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that's why you know. That's why I say it's it's uh it's all the other things that happen when he goes back in back in time. Uh-huh. All, you know the people he meets, the timelines he get sucked into and and the the plots he gets sucked into while he's killing time trying to stop the assassination yeah. really becomes the story. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so. I, I thought it was really good. I mean, it's funny because, you know, I like James Franco. I think he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, this is probably like one of the most normal projects he's done. But, you know, he never stops being James Franco, really. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I see what you're saying. That's who he plays. He plays him. He does yeah. in a lot of things. Right. And uh, um, But that's okay as long as that's yeah. an enter- entertaining thing to see. Right, yeah. And, and it usually yeah. is. So there you go. He's yeah, he's a likable guy, I think. Right. He plays a likable guy, he is a likable guy, so right. very easy to spend eight segments of a, a, mi- a mini series with him. Okay, cool. So uh it's over. Anyway, now. man. That that sh- that particular show is over. It's it did eight episodes and it's finished. Yes, cuz it's it's based on a novel. Oh, okay. All right. So But uh, um did were you did, Okay, I don't want you to give me any spoilers, but uh, were you satisfied with the way it uh, ended? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Hmm, cool. Yeah, I thought the ending was amazing. All right, all right. Um, nice. I'm hearing myself echo again now all of a sudden. Uh-oh. Hmm, that's hmm. weird. It usually, now it's gone away. Weird, weird. Huh, that's strange. Maybe just some weirdness with your hardware. Or who knows. Or Perhaps. just weirdness with Uvu. Right, weird okay. scenes inside the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So. I didn't mean to take us down that slippery slope in particular. No, I was just That's fine. <laughs> but you're right about uh, you know, different TV shows or well, series that I've been watching have restarted again right now also. Like I, we already talked about Game of Thrones and uh it's it's mm-hmm. really really exciting this season, but I won't bore you with the details since you haven't, you know, watched it from the beginning. But uh I don't know. If you ever get a chance, I would recommend uh, 
watching that series if you ever get a chance on through HBO or whatever. Uh, it's got some compelling storylines and stuff, and you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. I mean, there's there are humorous plot plot lines and things, and so it's. Uh, I just uh-huh. um, from the time I was in high school, you mm-hmm. know, when you know, I think you and I both really like science fiction, and even from the time I was a, like a teenager, I enjoyed science fiction. Yeah, but I learned pretty quickly that I didn't like fantasy. Like, well, you know, I'm not a big novels. F- I was gonna say novels with dragons in them and shit. I just was never into all that stuff. Neither, neither was I. Neither am I. To be perfectly honest, I think. Uh, Game of Thrones is more than th- that. I mean, it's 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 really more character driven and less less to do with uh, uh, fantasy elements. I mean, the fact that there are some dragons in this series, you know, doesn't take away from the human element. That's just kind of some mm, extra extra stuff it's, thrown in for for the, interest. The backdrop, yeah. It's yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it is part of the backdrop. I mean, it does, it does. Well, this season it's definitely playing a little heavier in t- in the use of the dragons in uh, in wartime, which is an amazing thing. Imagine, you know, <laughs> imagine, you know, people in medieval uh, times uh, having access to an F fifteen fighter jet. It's basically the same concept. <laughs> it's just like an I overwhelming like a, force. Yeah, I saw like a GIF online that looked like a dragon, like firebombing something. Right. You know, almost like a a, a bomber would. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, uh, firebombing enemy troops of Jamie Lannister. Uh, uh, Is that the character's the, name? Jamie yeah, one Lannister? of the. He, yeah, he was uh, the commander of this one army, and uh, that's that's a normal name. It's not like. Gray Eyes or Lovejoy or whatever the fuck those guys' names <laughs> were. Thornton Wilder. What the fuck was that guy's name we talked about last week? Who? Um, uh, not Theon Greyjoy, but the other guy. No, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Ramsey Bolton. Oh, yeah, Ramsey Bolton. No relation <laughs> to Michael. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and what's the guy you just said? Jamie? Jamie Lannister. Lannister. Wow, that's a boring uh, name compared to the others. Well, you know, he's he's not as exciting a character. <laughs> oh, but there he, you go. But but he did he did have a severed hand, and now he has a gold hand in its place. Though it doesn't. You oh, know, it's just a prosthetic. Hmm. Yeah, and he is having an incestuous relationship with his sister, who's the the queen right now. And she loves that gold finger. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> gold finger. Gold finger. <laughs> He's the man, the man with the Midas touch. All right, okay. <laughs> All right, so yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. But, I, but anyway, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Game, I don't, Game I, of Thrones. I don't know if I could ever get into it. Okay. I, you know, it's like anything. If I start watching it, I just might. Yeah, you you might fall in love with some of the pretty boys in it. Yeah, it would certainly make it a lot easier to watch. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the show Ray Donovan has started up again, which I'm watching on Showtime, which I think I had mentioned on a previous episode. Now, that's yeah. an interesting one. That's the one with the uh, the main characters played by Liev Schreiber. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Liev Schreiber. That's yes. how I say it. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting because we were just uh, we were talking about people who died, and one of the people who died today, the day we're recording this, is uh-huh. uh, a guy named Jay Thomas, who apparently was in last season of Ray Donovan. Oh, okay. He, I'm trying he, to remember what character he played. He but, played uh, the guy who ran or owned like a, um, I think it was supposed to be like a TMZ type website or 
Maybe it was supposed to be like the, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember if it's supposed to be like a cable show or a website that was hmm. kind of like, you know, not not a legit kind of a thing, not a kind of a tabloid situation. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. All right. I get it. He used to be in, in the 80s, he was in Murphy Brown and in um, Cheers. Cheers, like some of the later seasons of Cheers. He played Carla's husband, who who was a he was a, supposedly a hockey player. I can't oh. remember what his character's name was. Right, not not to be confused with her ex husband, who who was played by the other guy. Yeah, okay. Dan Hedaya. Oh, yeah, wow. that's good for right. you, man. <laughs> your knowledge, uh, your trivia knowledge is really good. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think he actually played her new husband. I think she married him because he died after a season or two. Right. Um, his character, I can't, and I can't remember what that character's name was. Um, I can't either. But he, he he's one boy. of those guys. Yeah, he's one of those guys. If you saw him, you'd know exactly who he is. He's, you know, he's been in stuff. No, I can kind of a. Yeah, I can picture his face right now. Yeah, yeah, he always kind of played the same kind of guy. Yeah, pretty much. And he, uh, Mm -hmm. he was a a DJ. He was a a disc jockey in L.A. So he had he did several different things. He had a pretty good career. Um, He definitely has that voice. That the DJ voice. Yeah. So I thought that was it. I was like, oh, we're talking about. Ray Donovan, mm-hmm. there's our connection to people who died. There you go. Yeah. Wow. If we went down that slope of all the people who've died since the last time we had a people who died segment. Yeah. Yeah. We could, could be a lot. We could run down quite a list. Um, but I got to mention, uh, now that we're on it, okay. you know, the the big one. Yeah. Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Jerry Lewis died, what was it, two days ago or three days yeah, ago yeah. now? Two or three days ago. Yeah, yeah on, wasn't it on Sunday? I think, and this is Thursday. Yeah, um, I guess you're right. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I don't mind going yeah. down that slope for a few minutes here. Well, the thing, the the reason I kind of wanted to mention it, which was what I thought was kind of cool, is mm-hmm. on sep- on September fourth, yeah. um, Turner Classic Movies is going to show five of his movies. Oh, really? Uh, mm. Yeah, and kind of at nighttime. I was online, and some people were bitching because one of you know it kind of starts around nine or ten at night, and then they're going to five in the morning, and it's like five of his. I know they're showing um, the King of Comedy, which is an amazing Scorsese movie. Oh, right, and right, yeah, yes, he played character Jerry Langford in that one. Yeah. If my memory is serving me, but. Uh, yeah, okay. And I hope they play like what was his first big movie, the 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 Bellhop? Yeah, I can't remember the other ones except I know they're playing Nutty Professor. Of course. The original. Yeah. Um and I think they're playing there's something that's like the something delinquent. Oh, the delicate delinquent. Yeah. Right. There's so many so many Jerry Lewis movies that I remember uh you know do, do you ever see the movie Way Way Out that he did? It was like a space thing, you know, because it happened, you know, during the the space race and it was a man and a woman who were going to uh spend uh, like a year on the moon and they get oh, up Oh, I know, I've seen it. Yeah, and they get up there and there's already a Russian couple up there in their own uh, space habitat and they oh, and, <laughs> and they interact and stuff. It's 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 actually a pretty funny movie to watch. Uh, granted, I think it, I know I know I've seen it. It's just been a long, long time. Yeah, um, it's dated and it's extremely sexist, but it's still an enjoyable movie. Right. The one mm. I remember seeing a lot of many times when I was a, a, a teenager and a and a kid. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it used to come on the Late Show a lot. Was uh, Hook, Line, and Sinker, and I don't remember anything that happens in that movie. 
wow, I can't say that I remember that. And I was a huge Jerry Lewis fan when I was a kid. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 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 If one, you know, was going to come on TV at a particular time, I was there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. This one was definitely in the 60s. It's in color. It's very 60s. But I'll be goddamned if I I can't remember. There's a thing where he's where he's fishing and I feel like it's either at the beginning or end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what it has to do with anything. Um, but oh. that's the one I've probably seen most often, even though I don't remember anything about it. Right. Um, Hook, line, and sinker. Is that the one where he gets a, a swordfish through his uh, chest, maybe? Oh, probably. Okay. <laughs> that sounds about right. I don't know. I think yeah. it, was, I mean, it was definitely had to be a comedy, because I didn't watch a lot of serious movies when I was a kid. I, I would get bored with them. Right. Um, there was... Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, did you ever see the Disorderly Orderly? I I think I've seen it. Yeah. It was it was really not a but great I, movie. It's a lot of sight gags. Well, that's what I think I was reading online about. Isn't that wasn't that one of his first ones after Dean? After him and Dean split up? Uh, that's very likely. I I, I think the bellhop was was probably the first one that he did. Uh, and he mm. had a lot of creative control. It took place in some hot- big hotel in Florida, and it's actually a really good movie. Uh, and he he doesn't talk at all throughout the whole movie. Though it's not a silent movie. I mean, everybody Which else. What is this again? Uh, I think it's called the Bellhop. The Bellhop. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. the one uh, I was reading about because they said it was. He doesn't speak. It's al- almost uh, like an old silent comedy, mm-hmm. or like an homage to old silent comedies. And it remind. I was like, oh, that reminds me of. Have you ever seen Michel Hulot's Holiday with Jacques Tati? Oh yeah, I've uh, I've seen uh, a couple. Of, well, well I, yeah. I've seen that one, and I think there there are a couple of others as well. Yeah, yeah. it's been probably gosh, I saw those maybe in the oof, late '90s or something like that. Yeah, but uh, those are yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. My uh, th- when I was in Houston in the '90s, PBS, the PBS station there for some reason won summer or fall. I don't even remember, but it was like for for eight, maybe six or eight weeks in a row mm-hmm. had a French film festival kind of and so like one of the films they showed was monsieur uh monsieur hulot's holiday and i'd never seen it before never heard of jacques tati and Mm -hmm. and i remember watching it with my mom and we were just like what is this it's so great (laughs) (laughs) so true like yeah it's, it's such a cool little old um uh, um, comedy, French comedy, but you know, it's there's hardly any dialogue, so it's very universal, exactly. you know. And we just it's and it's really super charming and funny and clever, and we we freaking loved it. It really is, and it gives you some context as to why the French love Jerry Lewis so much because it's very similar, very similar in a way. That's true, yeah. Tati That's... is just so much more imaginative, though. Well, you know. he's probably more nuanced, maybe. Yeah. And and he's an older gentleman as well, and his physicality is, is quite a bit different than, you know, a, a young Jerry Lewis, obviously. Right, right, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that does make mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, I've seen almost all the Shock Tati movies, and I really, I like them a lot. They're all very right. interesting. Now was M- Monsieur Hulot's Holiday was that in color or in black and white? I remember it's in black and white. And I think it was made okay, in the yeah. late fifties. Okay, uh, maybe sixty, but I think it was like fifty-eight. Yeah, I think so. there was. Yeah, I think I also remember seeing um, 
it was a color one. I think it was called Modern Times or something like that. Or it yes, was, it, it was mm-hmm. it was something of you know Mister Monsieur Hulot trying to cope with you know the modern world and all and modern gadgetry in the home and and elsewhere something right. like that. I, I, it's there's been one been too long for I, me to remember yeah. exactly. Yeah, there's one called uh, Mon Mon Uncle. Oh yes, yes, yes. I remember Which, that one too. They all have that kind of modern technology thing, but that one seems to have a lot of it. And then there's one called Playtime, um, yeah. which is one of the later ones, which is also still very good. Okay. Um, Bo- yeah. Both of those titles are familiar to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple I haven't seen. I think there's the last one was called Taxi, and I haven't seen that. Um, hmm. okay. But. Yeah, I I I remember I was just thinking I I saw Playtime I think in in 70 mm at the Paramount a few years ago. Oh, really? Oh man, that's great. And it's all about I'm these envious. people who are visiting Paris. They're like tourists or something. Mhm. And I can't remember the whole plot, what's going on, but I remember you only see the Eiffel Tower once and it's in the ref- someone opens a glass door and you see it in the reflection of the glass door and the door closes it's like it's this whole thing about paris and and tourists in paris uh-huh. and maybe even they're trying to get to the eiffel tower at some point i don't remember but it's like oh. you, you just see it briefly for a second in a reflection i was like that's, that's a, exactly like when you visit someplace that's hilarious that's a great premise yeah it's like it's yeah. never never truly shown in the film as other uh, travel movies you know that take place in Paris would you know showcase the Eiffel Tower, right, but yeah. it, in this one it's it's only seen in a reflection of a door or a window. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's very subtle and funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay. we got off on a slope there to, when we were talking about Jerry we did. Lewis. But uh, yeah, Jerry Lewis was uh, yeah he truly was uh, the king of comedy at least for a few decades there. I definitely would like to go back. I mean, I'm I'm glad uh, Turner Classic Movies is going to show a few of his films because it's. I don't even know if I've seen The Nutty Professor, the original one. If I have, I've only seen it probably once a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like I, I'm really interested in seeing some of these movies, and then I even want to, you know, I even want to see a couple of the later ones that are bad. Like I know Hardly Working is a piece of crap, but I really kind of oh. want to see it again. Right, the one he did in the 80s, you know, trying to yeah. uh, resurrect his career. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I went and saw it in the theater because, I mean, why wouldn't you? And uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think I saw it on cable. I think they played it on, you know, Showtime or HBO a million times right. a couple of years after it came out. Yeah, and it, it was okay. I mean, it was just pretty much rehashing some of the old shtick that uh, he had done decades before. But, right. you know, it was kind of... Nice to see him again after all all that time had elapsed. Or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I so, think you know mm-hmm. it would be fun. You know me. I sometimes I really like I like unintentionally bad movies, which is why <laughs> more more than anything I want to see the day the clown cried. I just right. I would hawk my eye teeth to see a print of that, and right. maybe we'll get to see it now. Well, that's true. I and, and I had sent you that text message. 
that said, uh, well, the clock is ticking now on the uh, release of The Day the Clown Cried. Yes. Since, yeah, I uh, think, I, uh-huh. wasn't the deal that he, he donated all of his film work, his mm-hmm. whole collection to uh, like the Smithsonian or the Library of Congress, actually, I think is who has it. Oh, and, okay. Um, hmm. And 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 I think that was in 2014, and I think the stipulation was they couldn't show the day the clown cried for 10 years, which would be 2024. Oh. But of course, there's all this stuff mm. online that about who owns the rights and could even though the Library of Congress has a print of it, could could they even legally show it um, and those sorts of things? So, uh huh. Okay. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Interesting. It, um, it, it's one of those things that's like, okay, sometimes when I'm like, I, is there any reason to be alive anymore? Be like, oh, yeah, one day maybe I could see the day the contract. <laughs> right. <laughs> now I know there are there are bits and pieces of it on YouTube that you can see, but. Yeah, um, I've watched a lot of stuff on YouTube about it. Right. And um, uh, going through YouTube and there were some interviews with Jerry Lewis right around the time when that film was about to be released. It had just been shown at the uh, 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 Cannes Film Festival, and he was talking about you know, the eminent release in the United States, which obviously never happened. But uh, it was interesting to see that old interview. I don't know if it was a, a Carson interview, or, or, or he was... I can't remember who he's being interviewed by uh, back in that time whenever he made that movie. I don't even remember what year that uh the, the they they filmed that but it was interesting 60s. yeah so was, i don't think it ever showed though no and i don't think it ever showed in the united states it, uh, i think it maybe it only ever i think it did show at the the con film festival i don't think so i don't think anyone has ever seen you know harry shearer uh who's who's an actor who is one of the voices on the simpsons and he was one of the guys in spinal tap uh-huh. um has said that he has seen a a, a copy of it mm-hmm. um at some point he knew someone who knew who knew Jerry Lewis who hmm. knew where the print was kept and they went in and watched it wow um, cool. and there are other people who say he's full of shit that never would have that couldn't have happened but you hmm. know he says it's really it, it's unbelievably bad um but hmm. i don't think anyone has legitimately seen it at a screening. I don't think they ever screened it. Okay. Uh, maybe my memory is bad, but from what I remember of the interview that he gave, he said that it had screened at, at, at con, but hmm. maybe, and maybe I, it did, but I don't I'll, think so. Cause yeah, there's, there's a to. real difficult time mm-hmm. finding someone who's seen it to re- that, that, that has legitimately seen it. You know what I'm, what's the word I'm looking for has seen it and, and is, you know, like Harry Shearer has, he said it, said that he has and i believe him but uh, no one can verify that there's no one who's seen it verifiably other than jerry lewis okay yeah that's, well that's said anything about it as far point. as i know all right well I, I will have to refine that interview that he gave and 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 give some clarification on my claims that he he said that it played at con yeah because maybe it did i could be totally wrong I, that would be interesting i would like to see that interview right. um mm-hmm. and even if it if he didn't i still would like to see that interview because i've right. i've seen some but i i haven't seen everything that's out there there's a lot out there now and it seems like there's more all the time okay i'll, I'll just have to go through my youtube watching history and uh, <laughs> and find that and then put it up on our slippery slope facebook page oh cool where is okay. that What's that page called? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, at Slippery Slope. No, that's that's the Twitter. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> no, that's that's at what? our Twitter account is at Slope Podcast, right? 
Correct. Yeah. Okay. And our our Facebook page is a slippery slope. Yes, indeed. Okay. Now and we should mention too, if you go to LTV, LTV like Lube TV, which is a show Mark and I did many years ago, yeah. LTVPod.com, There are some. There's links to our Twitter and our Facebook, and there's also some links to. There's actually some links to you to YouTube for the uh, some of the episodes of Lube TV that we did, I believe. Correct. That, that's true. I think there are at least four episodes of Lube TV uh, on our LTVPod.com website yes cool in addition to all of our audio podcasts of a slippery slope can be yes that's where that's a good point (laughs) right they could be people can be listened to it right there on the website or they can you know obviously listen to it on itunes or tune in radio yeah you know one of my dreams is this will never happen but i'm gonna say it out loud anyway okay one of my one of my dreams is to listen to all of our podcasts Okay. And make a kind of like a spreadsheet, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. of all the things we talk about. So, for example, like a almost like an index. So, if somebody mm. loved Jerry Lewis and wanted to hear what we said about Jerry Lewis, they would be like, oh, Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Episode seven, episode 13, and episode 53, which is the one we're doing right now. Or is this 54? This is 54, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Like Studio 54. <laughs> Welcome to Studio 54. Right. So, you know, so I would love to do an index where it's like, oh, if you want to know when we talked about these things, it's on these podcasts. Wow. That would, that would be that quite would take a, a long time. Yeah, that'd be quite an undertaking. Of course, I guess yeah. you could kind of use the uh, the episode notes that uh, yeah. you, you and I have entered over these many episodes that we've done i mean they're not completely extensive but i think a lot of the the notes that you've added to um some of the podcasts we've produced are are pretty extensive to some degree Uh, yeah we've yeah i mean it would it would definitely be a good starting place just to do that Mm -hmm. just to go by the the synopsis or whatever you want to call that the recap or the highlights or whatever yep okay yeah that's true that'd be a good starting point to maybe throw down an initial outline at least yeah Mm -hmm. my problem is i don't know too i'd have to figure out how to post it you know like oh right i would i could do the i could do the list mm-hmm. and say you know okay here's you know so alphabetically you could look at something and but i you know to hmm. do it as almost like a spreadsheet i don't i don't know how maybe we could create some sort of a searchable database hmm. based upon a, a, a spreadsheet that you create um, yes that would be something that you would have to do <laughs> or, show me, or show me how to do anyway yeah well, I guess if, you know, if you had created a spreadsheet and it was it was available for download, then people could easily search it just using uh, you know, the Excel commands. Right. You know, so but you probably yeah. you probably want something that's a little little easier to use than that, you know. Well, like, the other thing would be that it would have to be updated every show. True. Yeah, of course. Of course. So, it would have to be something that I could Right. You know, so we probably Edit. yeah we probably want some sort of a searchable database that's inside of our website that you could easily access the or, or upload a new file whenever new data was added to it right a new spreadsheet yeah, yeah. okay we'll see if that ever happens okay yeah <laughs> it could happen we'll see so, yeah anyway we if I prob- retire I'll get started yeah. on it so we should probably start moving into um, Twin Peaks uh, a Twin Peaks direction yes. Um, Part and, 15. 
Right, and of course, uh, beforehand, uh, I, yeah, I finally uh, read more of A Secret History of Twin Peaks and have discovered the identity of uh, the one of the other children that was abducted in the forest back in the uh, 1950s, I guess, other than... Uh, other than the log lady, uh, uh, Margaret Lanterman, whose uh, maiden name was Colson by some yes. chance, uh, Margaret Colson. And uh, her friend, apparently at the time, was Carl Rod. Yeah, the so, character played by Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, the uh, manager of the uh, Fat Trout Trailer Park. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so yeah. that explains so much about in the scene in Fire Walk With Me when Agent Chet Desmond is uh, in Carl's trailer, and Carl gets all quiet and starts acting nervous, and he says, uh, I, I've been places. <laughs> <laughs> and now I we know. That may explain part of it, yes. Yeah, so uh, I might have to uh, post that um, particular scene at the end of the episode, as uh, at the end of our episode, as a, a, a Easter egg. As our Easter egg, yeah. 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 Did you go much further than that? Um, in reading the book, yes, talking about uh, the uh, the how the Packards kind of became the dominant family in Twin Peaks, and the uh, Romeo and Juliet sort of uh, story of uh, Catherine Packard, who uh, ended up marrying uh, Pete Martell. Yes, and uh, much to the chagrin of their families, apparently. <laughs> Yes, uh, apparently. And uh, any other high points that, uh, that that stuck out in your mind? Well, what's what was really interesting was, I, so <clears throat> when you get a little bit past that, they talk about other people. I can't remember. There's, there's a, another section after that about, I don't even remember who that's about now off the top of my head. But then, hmm. uh, oh, there's a thing about when the, the high school team went to uh, the high school football team, which is made up of like Harry Truman and Hank Jennings and uh, Big Ed Mm -hmm. and some other characters we're familiar with. Hawk and, you know, are all supposedly on the high school football team. And Jerry Horn was the place kicker. No. Didn't he say that? (laughs) I thought I I read that. Oh, Jerry Horn. Jerry Horn. I was thinking of Johnny Horn. No, not Johnny. Johnny would have been... would have been an embryo. <laughs> That's right. Jerry Horn was. Yes, I think they do say that. Uh-huh. And I, I could see that. Oh, then you if you've read that, have you read the stuff about Josie Packard? Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just about to get to that and how she got hooked up with uh, Andrew. Yeah, that's really interesting and well done. Okay. And then hmm. after that, they talk about, um, so they, they say somehow that, you know, uh, the Bookhouse Boys... Like Harry Truman at some point mm-hmm. uh, talked some of the bookhouse boys into writing histories, their kind, their histories of living in Twin Peaks and people they knew in Twin Peaks so that the bookhouse boys would have history of Twin Peaks written by people who lived in Twin Peaks stored in the bookhouse for future generations to read. Right. Now, I think I do remember reading about that. Yeah. Okay. So. so. So then after they talk, after you find out a little bit more about Josie Packard's story, Mm -hmm. um, there's this section that supposedly was written by Hawk that's about his best friend in high school and after high school, uh, Big Ed. Ah, okay. And how 
uh, and Big Ed and Norma's backstory and Nadine's backstory. And and so I had just kind of was in the middle of that mm-hmm. when part 15 started. And what's uh, the first thing that happens in part 15? Well, Nadine cuts Ed loose. Gives, yeah. him, gives him free reign. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. That's, that's yeah. very... Um, Kismetic. Yeah. Synchronicity, man. (laughs) Yes. And serendipitous as well. Yes, that's the word. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was really neat. I was just kind of getting right to the point where uh he marries how he meets how Big Ed meets Nadine and and when they get married, uh and and some of Nadine's backstory Uh and how Nadine ended up with an eye patch. Oh yeah. that was on their um, hun- that was on their honeymoon. Was it? Yeah, well, at least uh, I remember Ed telling the story, and it was either in an in the original series where Ed relays the story of how he uh, put Nadine's eye out on their honeymoon. And and what's oh, because that's not how it happens in this. Really? I, yeah. What's oh. the story? Do you remember? I think they eloped, and uh, they were he was they were hunting or target shooting or something and a ricochet uh hit nadine and put her eye out that's what happens in the in the book okay but it's not on their honeymoon it's after they've been married a while and nadine is starts realizing that big ed really loves norma and always has Uh, and well follows follows him when he goes hunting with some friends thinking he's actually going to a secret tryst with norma and and he's really hunting, and that's when he fires the shot, not knowing she's around, and it it ricochets and hits her in the eye. Okay, well that you know that all goes to just because a character tells a story to someone doesn't necessarily mean it's the whole truth. Right, right, right. You know because the whole thing was uh, in the original series, he puts her eye out and then you know takes her to the hospital and and feels so bad about the whole situation. Is that and I think that's why they get married. That's what it was. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But obviously, accor- at least according to A Secret History of Twin Peaks, that wasn't the, the, the true story. But it makes for a good story. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And see, that's interesting. It's always interesting. It's like, okay, why would Mark Frost write that in the novel, write a different story from what was been mm-hmm. said in the series, you know? Right. Did he forget? I don't know. Did he purposefully do it because of like the reason you said? Because history is really partially too about who's telling you the story. Yeah. Um. Maybe I'll or, have to or whatever. I'll have to find that scene where he's relaying that story and and post that as a second Easter egg. <laughs> it's gonna be a four-hour episode, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's very likely. Okay. So uh, so do you want to get into well, uh, Twin Peaks episode fifteen? Since we're already yeah. an, an hour in right now, <laughs> I can't remember what the what was the uh, tagline for the episode. Do you remember? Yes, there's some fear in letting go. Oh yeah. Oh, we'll get to that and that. If I yeah, if that's... I cry, you'll just have to forgive me. No, I I understand. I mean, that's uh, it's it's definitely a scene worth crying over. Oh yeah. But uh, I guess yes. we will get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. So um, shall we kick this puppy off? Wanna yeah. Cue, let's cue that music first. All right, cue that music. <laughs> All of a sudden, 
I'm picturing her in that first scene where she's walking fat mm-hmm. and quickly down the road carrying that gold shovel. Right. And in the back of my mind, the music I hear is dun 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 Really? Okay. That's hilarious. Oh, that's too funny. So, yeah. Okay. So we've played the Twin Peaks theme, and we've got the picture of a Nadine in our minds, and yes, Nadine has walked several miles to Big Ed Hurley's gas farm, and he happens to be outside and greets her, and oh, by the way, she's happen- she happens to be carrying her gold shovel that she got from Dr. Amp. So uh, the shit shovel and shovel. That's right. So she's come to tell Ed something. She told him that she's changed, but she's been a selfish bitch to him all these years, and he's been a saint. She's she's known since forever that he loves Norma, and Norma loves him. But she had kept them apart because of her jealousy, and she manipulated him. She guilted him to stay, and he's so good, he stayed and gave up his love. And so she tells him, Oh, God, Ed, I want you to be free. <laughs> and then she Your t- acting is just about as good as hers was. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was kind of bad, wasn't it? And it was, yeah. Yeah, so she tells him, I'm fine now, and... And she said, you asked about this shovel. Well, I'm shoveling myself out of the shit. (laughs) So so anyway, so Ed asks her if she's been watching that show of Jacoby's. And she nods and says, you know I have. Uh, She says she loves him and that true love is giving the other what makes them happy. So he, he says, Nadine, I want you to... Think real hard about what you're saying, um, because you're not making any sense. And that tomorrow she's going to wish she never said these things. Of course, she reassures him that she's walked the whole way there and had plenty of time to think and turn back. But she didn't, because this is how she really feels. And you can thank Dr. Amp, our old friend, Dr. Jacoby. (laughs) So He must have fucked her good (laughs) (laughs) apparently yeah i guess that's it they had their uh, their little interlude there when he when he came and stopped by her shop but anyway she goes on to tell him that he he's the only one around here telling it like it is so the gist of it is ed you are free go and enjoy she says so she hugs him and marches off with her gold shovel (laughs) <laughs> so F- Ed is left standing there dumbfounded, and he's overcome with emotion. He even tears up a little bit, it looks like. But uh, then you can see resolve enter his eyes. He knows now what he must do. Now, see, I just thought, I thought, well, shit, he he knows Norma's with Grant Goodeve, with Walter. It's like, right. what good is her giving him his freedom? Norma's already with someone else. So I didn't I didn't expect the next scene. Yeah, well that's scene. true. Well, you know, it's so interesting. We always thought that the, you know, the whole Dr. Amp shit was just, you know, a big waste of time and Nadine listening to him was just kind of a, you know, just kind of comic relief, but now it kind of plays into, yeah, she finally comes to her senses and yeah, she's going to really shovel herself out of this out of the funk, out of the shit that she's been in all this time and holding Ed down and keeping him from his happiness and shit. So it's kind of, hey, man, it it actually led to some 
resolution of something, as we find out in you know the next scene. Right. But at least you know she she looks she kind of sounds like she's lost some of her crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we can only hope there's still three more episodes. Anything could happen, but... Well, that's true. Yeah, she could change her mind for all we know, but I don't think so. Maybe we'll see uh, uh, Nadine and, and uh, uh, Dr. Jacoby uh, making out in the woods. Cuddling, or yeah. Or cuddling, <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe cuddling and... Uh, On the couch at the Run Silent, Run Drapes. Yes, but instead of... <laughs> But instead of spooning with each other, they'll be shoveling with each other. Ah! <laughs> okay. So, so on to the next scene, I guess. Uh, so yep. to the tune of a live version of Otis Redding's I've Been Loving You Too Long, Ed goes to the double R to proclaim his love for Norma. He tells her everything has changed, that he just spoke with Nadine, and she's given him his freedom. But, unfortunately, the wind is taken out of his sails as Walter shows up, played by Grant Goodeve, as you just mentioned. So, Norma and Walter walk away together and sit in a booth together. So, Ed is left dumbfounded and heartbroken. He sits at the bar and orders a cup of coffee and a cyanide tablet. <laughs> so then, uh. Anyway, they cut to Norma talking to Walter, and she tells him that she wants to sell the rights to the Norma's chain of diners to him. She just wants to keep the original one that she's working at and spend more time with her family. Uh, Walter thinks this is a joke, but as it turns out, she's dead serious, so... Walter leaves, telling her that he thinks she's making a huge mistake, in addition to the fact that she obviously just dumped him. so uh, Right, apparently he got that too out of all that. Right, so uh, sad Ed, still sitting at the, uh, the bar of the double R, he's sitting there alone at the bar with his eyes closed, and then he feels the touch of... Of a loving hand on his shoulder. It's Norma's hand. He turns. They look into each other's eyes. He says to her. Still playing at full blast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the volume comes up. And he says, marry me. And they kiss. She says, of course I will. And then they kiss again, long and hard. End of scene. And And then, yeah, then we cut to the trees and the mountains rejoicing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they showed a lot of, a lot of, uh, of a uh, landscape in this episode, as a matter of fact, but uh, yeah, and yeah, I um, I wrote. It seems like the first real happy love moment in a Lynch uh, film or TV show ever. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's very likely. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think of any time where there was a real monumental love moment like that, hmm. and 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 to a certain degree, that moment's a little typical. But um, yeah, you're not typical. And what's interesting is that's not typical for a Lynch thing. No. So I was like, you know, you don't get that. You know, we were just talking last episode, I think, about how we're back in Twin Peaks and everything we thought we would see what didn't happen. Bobby's not with Shelley. Right. Norm is not with Ed. Mm-hmm. The, nothing. Nothing is what we thought. It, Bobby's a cop. You know, all these things are not what we expected to find in t- Twin Peaks twenty five years later. Yeah. And. And then here comes this moment, which is like the mo you know, what an amazing moment for the fans of the show. Right. Norma and Ed together. It's 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 like the happiest, sweetest, most uplifting moment in a Lynch 
in Twin Peaks forever, man. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I I almost kind of teared up during this particular scene, and and I was thinking to myself, finally, finally, yeah. after all this time, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. But I th- mm-hmm. I thought it was really neat how he cut to to like the the you know in Twin Peaks, it seems like we're always cutting to the the mountains and the and the and the forest and the woods mm-hmm. and most times when that happens there's this undercurrent of uneasiness and and evil and darkness yeah. and uh not in this particular one though no. it was daylight and and the sun was shining and it was a beautiful day it it definitely was and uh, very appropriate for for the events that had happened prior to that yeah <laughs> so but then the show changes gears a little bit. A lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a whole lot. And uh, so, um, yeah, we cut to power lines along the highway are making scratchy electrical sounds. Looked very much like the power lines that Andy saw when he was with the firemen. Oh, yeah. I, I think it was the same, a similar or the same shot. That yeah. was in that montage. I, I think you you may be a hundred percent correct. So um, anyway, a vehicle driving down a dark highway flanked by trees. We see the doppelganger drives alone until he reaches the convenience store. A woodsman guides him up a rusty metal flight of stairs on the side of the building that seemingly lead nowhere. When they reach the top of the stairs, though, both of them kind of flicker out and disappear. Now we see the doppelganger is now in the so-called room or place above the convenience store. He speaks. I'm looking for Philip Jeffries. A different seated woodsman with a bloody mouth looks up at him, pulls a hidden switch behind an old standing tube radio. Electricity crackles, lights flash, a a jittery image of the jumping man wearing a white mask With a long pointy nose and a red tuxedo is seen momentarily, a face seems to be superimposed on the mask. Some fan theories say it was Sarah Palmer's face. Mm. Um, Yeah. Then the woodsman turns the switch off. Another woodsman arrives in a before unseen doorway, and the seated woodsman thumps a long wooden walking stick on the floor. The newly arrived woodsman beckons Doppelganger to follow. They walk through a dark room to a lighted doorway and up a familiar flight of wooden stairs. I think those are the same stairs that Gordon saw when he was looking up into the vortex. Yes, uh, uh where the three woodsmen were standing. Right. Uh, Yes. So they go up a flight of uh, the wooden stairs to a door that opens out to the parking lot of a 60s-era motor court is what it looks like. Yeah. It's funny. I This is the first episode I've watched in quite a while where I just watched. I told myself I'm just going to watch the whole episode because mm-hmm. lately I've been watching it, pausing it, taking notes, writing down what happened and all that, you know? Yeah. And I said, I said, I'm it's I need to watch it and just sit back, watch it and enjoy it. Right. And then I can go back and take notes. So, like... You wrote down a lot of things, and I wrote, like, nothing. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I prefer your commentary anyway after, well, after the fact. Well, it's funny how many things you were talking about. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. I forgot about the <laughs> guy turning on the old radio-looking thing. Right. I just wrote, convenience oh. store, goes up, 
long haunted house like trek and trees <laughs> <laughs> well that's true oh yeah i forgot about that yeah the kind of trees superimposed um but uh what's interesting is you know i started doing that myself on sunday i just watched the episode you know just to experience the episode and then like the next day, I'll watch it again and take notes then. Right. That way, I've already got stuff subconsciously, you know, in my in mind there. about what's happening. And then I can kind yeah. of concentrate on the minutiae, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's kind of what I, I mean, I watched it and then I immediately rewatched it and, and took notes. But I like I skipped through a lot of the. Yeah. stuff where where cooper's walking because it goes on for a long time where he you know and there's still more after he gets to the motor court right. um that's true but i uh i was like oh this is what i really love about it is what what lynch kind of always says is it, it's just very dreamlike those dreams where you're in some building and it's dark and mm-hmm. and you're following this person and then a door opens and all of a sudden you're outside in another place right and you know you know so dreamlike so much like a dream yeah it's, um, it's like it's really interesting layers and layers and 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 even more layers of uh, yeah yeah so anyway all right yeah. so, so they're in in the parking lot of this motor court so another woodsman meets them they walk across the lot towards one of the motel room doors Number eight, uh, so Doppelganger jiggles the handle. Apparently, it's locked. So uh, a haggard-looking, bosomy, housecoat-wearing caretaker walks up and in backwards speak, tells him that she will unlock the door for him. So she does so. He enters the room. It's dark with flickering fluorescent light. A false wall seemingly opens like a curtain. Behind it is one of the dark, six-foot-high electric metal bell-shaped objects we've seen before. This one has three antenna or electrodes on its domed top. A metal arm or spout on its left side is slowly spewing steam or smoke. The device clanks and hums. Uh, As we find out, this is what remains of Philip Jeffries. He, (laughs) it, speaks in a metallic-sounding voice by, uh, not David Bowie, but uh, another actor, apparently named Nathan yeah. Nathan Frizzell and he's, whoever that is yeah and he says oh it's you and then we realize that it's Jeffries because doppelganger goes Jeffries and Jeffries goes I just, yeah go oh, ahead sorry no I was ahead. just gonna say I I just hate that the guy who does the voice doesn't sound anything like Bowie and they've yeah uh, did you see the thing where they posted the scene from Firewalk with me where Bowie says now we're not going to talk about Judy and right. then in Gordon's dream, it's a different voice. Right. They they other... they overdubbed it with this Nathan Frizzell's voice for some dumb reason. Why didn't they just keep unless they were yeah. trying to add content? And why didn't they get get mm-hmm. someone that sounded more like Bowie to voice Jeffries? I it it yeah. just kind of makes me mad and drives me crazy. Yeah, a little bit. I mean it was a guy trying to do a a, a southern accent, but it wasn't the same kind of southern accent that Bowie did. Right. Right. I mean, it seems like you could find someone that could do the voice better. I, yeah. I, I you know, I, like I, like we've said, you know, there's, you know, we, we've always wondered what's going to happen when Philip Jeffries becomes more, more a part of the story because it was certainly leading to that. Mm-hmm. And with Bowie having passed before he could make film any scenes for this, we knew Bowie wasn't going to be in it. Yeah. So how were they going to have Philip Jeffries? 
be right. a character. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's this this dune like machine that mm-hmm. that smokes and makes all these noises. But I was just like, man, I just wish they would have gotten someone that sounded more like Bowie. I was I was kind of disappointed in that. Anyway, okay. just wanted I, to mention that. I, yeah, I, I feel your disappointment to be sure. Yeah. It, <laughs> It could have been done better, but, you know, it is what it is to, right. u- to use a horrible cliche. I mean, yeah, at least they didn't recast it as a person, you know? Well, yeah, unless it was, uh, you know, the lead singer of the Psychedelic Furs, then it would have been awesome. That could have been really cool, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, he's talking to the Jeffries device, and Doppelganger asks him, why did you send Ray to kill me? And, of course, Jeffrey says, what? I I called Ray. And Doppelganger says, so you did send him. Did you call me five days ago, he asks. Jeffrey says, I don't have your number, <laughs> which I thought it was a funny response. Right, yeah. So then Doppelganger says, so it was someone else who called me. Uh, Jeffrey says, we used to talk, Doppelganger. Yes, we did. Then they show a flashback of Gordon's office 25 years ago with Cooper Jeffries and Albert standing there and of course young Jeffries says well now I'm not going to talk about Judy in fact we're not going to talk about Judy at all and of course that was the end of the flashback right um, so anyway so um doppelganger says 1989 you showed up at FBI headquarters in Philadelphia and said you'd met Judy and Jeffries goes so you are Cooper and yeah I thought that was an interesting thing to say mm-hmm. not so you are the doppelganger or you know, or, or, you know, he identifies him as Cooper, not some version of Cooper, mm-hmm. but Cooper. Yeah. Is this the only version of Cooper that he knows? I don't right. Or yeah. is, is yeah. this the, is there really not a doppelganger Cooper? Is this the real Cooper? And Ooh. we were fooled from the beginning? Wow. That would be quite a reveal. Yeah. If yes. Turned out to be the case. Hmm. Okay, now that's, that freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that he says, so you are Cooper. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means, you know, that could mean a lot of things. Right, exactly. So then Doppelganger says, Philip, why didn't you want to talk about Judy? Who is Judy? Does Judy want something from me? And uh, Jeffries tells him, why don't you ask Judy yourself? Let me write it down for you. So then the machine begins blowing out smoke numbers which i think were like four eight zero five five one i don't know if there's any significance to that <laughs> i didn't even maybe that close. i saw that it was numbers but i didn't maybe yeah it was the beginning of what i thought it said i guess that other, was a phone number or something seems to be although it could be coordinates oh um <laughs> well, there, there you go that's right <laughs> Uh, but I also I think um, you probably wrote it down and 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 mm. skipped over it. The the Jeffries also says you've already met Judy. Uh, oh yeah, that, that's that's next. That's after. Oh, okay. Sorry. So so doppelganger writes down uh, the numbers on a pad, a, a a giant pad of paper that he happened to have stowed in his leather jacket. Um, <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> so then yeah, doppelganger goes, "Who is Judy?" And Jeffrey says, "You've already met Judy." <laughs> What do you mean I've met Judy? So then just then an old black dial type telephone on a dusty desk in the corner begins ringing. Who is Judy? Who is Judy? The phone continues ringing and Jeffrey 
the Jeffrey machine fades away. So the doppelganger picks up the phone, and in a flash and crackle of electricity, he is outside the convenience store again, holding the receiver of a payphone. He puts it to his ear. Electricity crackles. Whoever's on the other end hangs up. A dial tone is heard. So he hangs up the phone, begins to walk to his vehicle, but is stopped by a Richard Horn pointing a pistol at him. Yes. Richard Horn. Oh, always good to see Richard Horn. (laughs) Of course. And he says, I recognized you back at the farm. You're FBI. So apparently Richard doesn't necessarily know everything about uh, Doppelganger Cooper at all. Right. I mean, uh, he just happened to be at the farm and says he recognized him from back at the farm. Hmm. So anyway, Doppelganger says, how do you figure that, Richard? Because I see I seen your picture in your fancy FBI suit. Don't come any closer. Doppelganger said, where'd you see that picture? Richard said, my mom had it. Doppelganger, who's your mom? Yeah, who's your mom? And then Richard says, Audrey Horn. And you're... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Finally, we know for sure 100%. Of course, we, we're probably 90% sure already. Right. Uh, 99%, 99% sure, yeah. sure already. And then he but says... But you never know with Lynch when he's going to throw you a curveball. So, you well, know. Well, that's true. And he says, yeah, he says, Audrey Horn, and your name's Cooper. So (laughs) at that point, the doppelganger snorts and spits, distracts Richard, and disarms him. Punches him in the face, knocking him down, and begins kicking him. And he says, (laughs) don't ever threaten me again. Get in the truck. We'll talk on the way. Because Richard Horn is a pussy. Yes. Well, compared to... (laughs) I mean, everybody is compared to Doppelganger with his right. with his <laughs> one punch killing hand. I swear. <laughs> so, but then something wild happens. Just then, Doppelganger types in his cell phone to an unknown number: Las Vegas? Question mark. Whoa! <laughs> the timeline. Wow, of things happening when and where. Because, I mean, how many episodes ago was it that Diane got the text message, Las Vegas, question mark, from him? Right, yes. Yeah, so those... Yes. So you're, you're, you trying to keep track of when things are happening is completely gone out the window at this point. Yeah, I don't even try anymore, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right, yeah. of course. But, uh, you know, that's Lynch for you, man. He definitely has, uh, yeah, screwed with our heads by us seeing that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they get in the truck and drive off. Uh, the store lights up, flashes, smokes, then disappears. So the convenience store is obviously not a permanent fixture on the side of the road there. Right. Yeah. But I think it's, it's like, like the... Uh, vortexes? Right, and also the, um, you know, when that area where Cooper goes to the, in the woods and then there's red curtains there and he goes mm-hmm. uh, in the red curtains. And I can't... What is that area in the woods called where that white kind of fire pit is? It's like a Shakespearean name or something. I think they oh, said where that where that burnt engine oil shit pool is. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, the the I don't know the sycamore tree area. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, that's the woods, and there's a red curtain there sometimes too. Mm-hmm. It uh, appears at particular times, or if maybe you just walk up to that area. It, it I don't know. I'm not sure what the circumstances are that re- allow you to enter. You know, the Black Lodge. Right. All right. So on to the next scene. In the woods, an unknown man in a coat, hat, and sunglasses walks his dog. 
Turns out his name is Cyril Pons, played by Mark Frost, of all people. Series co-creator, Mark Frost. There you go, exactly. So <laughs> then we cut to Stephen, Becky's husband, and Gersten Hayward huddle and crouch at the mossy base of a giant redwood tree. She seems to be trying to console comfort and or talk him out of something he has a gun and a wild despondent look in his eyes why there is no why i didn't do it no she did it i can't no i did it it's all kind of weird talk i don't even know what the fuck they're talking about and so gerson is telling him no steven steven stop it you didn't do anything okay you were fucking stoned what the fuck did she give you give me the gun okay and of course he refuses And he asks her, are you going to come up with me? And she says, no, and you're not going either. So Stephen says, look at me. I'm a high school graduate. What what the hell is he talking about? (laughs) I know, it's so weird. Does he feel like he's a failure because he can't get a job? Or what's going on there, you know? Yeah, I don't know. What does I'm a high school graduate mean? It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. So then he apparently pulls a bullet out of his shirt pocket and says... You see this? Yeah, I'm going to get this thing in. So he puts the bullet into the clip of the gun and shoves it into the handle of the gun and says, right through there, pointing to his head, it's going to end it. So she's, you know, freaked out by all of this. So she keeps kissing his head and saying no, trying to stop him from, from doing whatever he is. And he says, and when I when I see you come up, I may not even see you there. I mean, I mean, gone. Where will I be? Will I be with a rhinoceros? What the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> He's like, the lightning in the bottle, hmm? Or will I be completely, uh, like turquoise? Holy <laughs> shit, what the fuck? I feel something. This is the end. I got a duty to do. Do whatever you want. I liked fucking you. Did I tell you? I like it a lot. I like to get down and fight with you and fuck, just so you know. So she's pretty much sobbing at this point. Then he gets really weird Doesn't and dark. Doesn't she know that's a compliment? Why is she crying? <laughs> just... Then he's like, that I like your cunt. Like, sometimes it's so amazing. You're making me cry. Stop it, cunt. It's like he's all over the place, man. Yeah, he's just, just fucking, completely nuts. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's probably, you know, completely drugged up and, and, and out of his mind as well. So right. just then the dog walker, Cyril Pond, shows up nearby and sees them. Okay, they are startled. Stephen hides the gun. Gersten runs away. The dog walker runs away. Stephen remains at the base of the tree. Gersten hides behind another tree and moments later hears a gun go off. She begins freaking out. The forest looms above. She is catatonic. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. I mean that, you know, I he's amazing in that scene because he's he's spewing nonsense which yeah. we presume is scripted. Um and right. he's but he's just so good at you're just like this is the craziest thing I've ever heard you know you right. can tell he's just totally fucked up beyond repair he's mm-hmm. you know he's he's lost it um and yet it's kind of almost this interesting beautiful poetry you know will i be turquoise <laughs> it's just like yeah that was crazy right so. and i love that 
you know, Alicia Witt is so amazing and she's so, mm-hmm. I just love her. I wish, I hope Lynch uses her again soon because she's great in Lynch stuff. She just does so well. And yeah. it's like, you know, and there's no, there's no, uh, con- there's just almost no context. You don't know if they're drug addicts or, or mm-hmm. just crazy or, Right. What the fuck, you know, or or if the uh, if the dark side has got the black lodge has got them, you just can't figure it out. Well, that's a good point. I mean, granted, we know that Stephen is a drug addict, um, right? But uh, yeah, is he? Yeah, is he under the influence of drugs, or yeah, it's just his circumstances, or yeah, some supernatural shit is acting on him. We don't know. But right. Uh, and- so so here's the question: Did he really kill himself? Well, yeah, we don't know for sure yet. Right. But I. The other thing I wanted to say is I love that Alicia Witt is like, you know, obviously in real life, she's probably twice his age and presumably the character is too, but apparently they're having an affair. So I I just think it's cool that there's a big age difference there, but that that has nothing to do with anything that's going on. Um, Because her character has to be at least 35 years old. Yeah, she's, if not older, because she's in the original series as a young girl. Right. Probably uh, probably 12 or 13. So she's 36, 37. Okay. I mean, yeah. maybe Steven's supposed to be 23, 24, 25. I mean, there's not a huge age gap between them, but a big enough one to where, yeah. you know, uh, and obviously, I mean, he says they're fucking. So obviously they're having an affair and he's got a wife at home who's young and pretty. But, you know, it's not always about having someone young and pretty i don't know i just think it's cool the age difference thing them being this couple and they're all fucked up and probably drug addicts (laughs) yes just just interesting to me just was an interesting kind of here's random thing here's a big question how the hell did gersten hayward end up so screwed up to end up with a guy like steven right what happened in the 25 years we were away she was yeah she was such a promising young pianist Back in the day, yeah. and she had she had good parents, you know, Doc Haywood, Hayward, and and uh, his wife, and um, you know, and her sister Shelley was kind of a goody two shoes. So her sister, um, not uh, Shelley, no, not Shelley. Um, uh, sorry, Donna. Donna, yeah, Donna was a goody two shoes. Yeah, you know, it's just you know, it's one of these other things that happened that over 25 years some you know her character has changed just like Shelley has changed and mm-hmm. and other characters have changed and we we don't know exactly what happened to them we don't know why Bobby and Shelley aren't together right. other than Shelley makes bad choices but right. yeah and uh, oh you know. by the, by the way that that is the same actress who played Gersten as a as a child yeah Alicia Witt she's amazing right. yeah She's Very really so. good. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just thought I love that scene. I thought it was, you know, it's it's a great Lynchian scene. Yeah, and yeah, I thought it was really interesting, too, that earlier in the episode, two people fell in love or maybe not fell in love, but two people were able to have love. And mm-hmm. the, the beauty of nature was the exclamation point to that scene and then these two people have this fucked up scene they are in love and the evil omnipresent nature was Mm -hmm. like the exclamation point to that scene but it's two completely different scenes yeah it was like they were in in the in the dark of it and the 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 looming forest the intimidating forest right was was visible black lodge and the white lodge wow Ooh. yeah Hmm. yeah interesting (laughs) Okay. Shall we continue? Yeah. 
All right. And this is actually kind of a continuation of the same scene. Uh, right. At least involving one of the people involved. So uh, at the Fat Trout trailer park, Cyril Pons, the guy who was walking his dog earlier, shows up and he meets with Carl. Carl comes out to talk to him. Cyril points to the forest, then points to a trailer and says, he lives in that trailer right there, which is <laughs> quite true. It was the same trailer with the broken window that a coffee mug got thrown out of when he was uh, beating on poor Becky. When uh, Yes. Yes, exactly. So, so everyone goes to Carl. Carl's the go-to guy. He really shit's is. shit's going down. Yeah, so at the end of that scene, Carl makes the most horrified face he can make. Yeah. Three cheers to Harry Dean Stanton. He's awesome in this. He really is. It's am- I mean, how old? I was just on Facebook the other day. I think Harry Dean Stanton turned 90 or 91. Does that oh, sound right? Really? Wow. I, I think. Yeah, that probably sounds may- sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. May- I mean, maybe it was 80, 81, but I think it was 90. And uh, Well, he looks just- he looks every day of it. He does. He's, you know, there's some people it's like, yes, that person lived a fucking life. And you can tell that Uh by just looking at him. And that's Harry Dean Stanton. Yep. (laughs) He's been smoking every day of his life. Yeah. (laughs) And talking on the CB. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So so we're about to get to the next scene, which was fucking amazing. Yes. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah, because you get to see some some uh, serious action regarding uh, a story that was told on the previous episode. Yeah, we get to see Freddy again, and he's right. so creamy. Exactly. So <laughs> at the Bang Bang Bar and or the Roadhouse, the MC introduces on the Roadhouse playlist, Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top. And it's just it's just a recording. I, at first, I thought they were actually going to have ZZ Top perform on the show, but that didn't happen. So, recording is played, and everybody gets up to dance. It looks like of all the songs, too. I was just like, "Wow, sharp dressed man!" Yeah, for no for no real reason. But I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, was was, was James uh, sharp dressed when he walked in? Not really. No, he's just wearing his normal clothes. No know. one's dressed up there. Maybe it's good uh, f- good fighting music. I mean, it is very you know upbeat or middle class kind of yeah music. The typical kind of music you would hear at a, a bar. Right. That's good. That's uh, good bar fight music. Yeah. Because uh, but because <laughs> what happens is. Renee is at a booth with some people. James and Freddie walk up. James says, it's good to see you, Renee. So a guy in the booth looks up, and he happens to be Chuck with Renee, Looks and he looks very displeased. And he says, you got a death wish? Because I'll fucking kill you. Don't talk to my wife ever. So... Uh, James stammers. I, I I was just trying to. I was just trying to. He was like, "What? What were you just trying to?" Uh, I was just trying to be polite. I like her. Ooh, he said the wrong thing because Chuck gets up and punches James in the face. James falls. Chuck jumps on top and begins wailing on James while uh, Chuck's friend Skipper starts kicking James repeatedly. So Freddy steps up and he yells, "Oi! You better you better stop this." And then Skipper says, "Fuck you, punk." So f- <laughs> Freddy boom immediately punches the guy with his green gardening glove and knocks him out cold. He then Record scratches. <laughs> yes. 
He then knocks Chuck out with one punch. Another record scratch. Yes. <laughs> so Freddie helps James up. James then tells the crowd that these guys are really hurt, and he recommends that they call 911. <laughs> he apologizes to Renee profusely and counts and comments, his eyes don't look right. Because they, yes, because Chuck is on the ground and he looks like he's having convulsions and he's foaming at the mouth. And uh, so that's not very good. So, this character, Chuck, Renee's husband, is he the yeah. same Chuck that stole Billy's truck? Oh, is that. Was that who stole Billy's truck? Yes. I thought Billy stole Chuck's truck. Okay, maybe it's the other way around. Or was it the other way around? I can't keep up with all that shit. I, th- I, I thought didn't even... it was Chuck stole Billy's truck. Maybe it was. I don't even know. So anyway, the question was, is this the same Chuck that was they were talking about in, uh, I think, Audrey's story? Or, or was it Charlie? in a previous episode was talking about somebody stealing a, a, a truck and, and the and the name truck Chuck was bandied about. <laughs> it's kinda hard to say truck and chuck in the same sentence. It but, is. But anyway, I you know, maybe maybe it doesn't matter. Um question is also, okay, they had James had just come from being down in the boiler room before they went to the roadhouse. And he heard that weird sound, so it almost seemed like he didn't really find anything. When he no, was... I guess not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Or maybe we'll go back to the, and he'll be in the boiler room next episode, because time is a concept in Lynchland. But, um, right. But they had talked I, about, you know, going to the roadhouse yeah. um, after, yeah. after work. So I assume that's that same, you know, time frame. Yeah, I, I yeah. did too. Okay. Um, I thought it was really I don't know. I don't know. I like the scene. I don't know what happened in the in the boiler room. Maybe maybe that's just Lynch saying, Okay, here's what's making that noise and then we'll we'll never see anything about that storyline again. Yeah. You know, that that could have been in his mind that's the resolution to that storyline. I don't know. Yeah. Um Well it could be, yeah. I, I never really thought about that. Huh. But okay. I I thought it was a really cool scene. I just thought the use of ZZ Top Sharp Dress Man was just kind of <laughs> you know, you just don't expect that in uh, in this series no. for it to be such a normal fucking song right. that everyone knows. But it's and it's, then, it's definitely a good bap- backdrop to a, a good old fashioned bar fight. Bar fight, mm-hmm. and then of course we get to see Freddie use his glove as uh, uh, and and we know it works. We know, oh, oh yeah, he's not full of shit. He right. he hasn't been telling a story. Right. Uh, the fireman told him to get the glove. He got the glove and the glove, I think, is I, I in my mind, there's still a use for his that glove. It wasn't just for this scene. I feel like something bigger and and more important is going to happen later, but maybe it won't. Well, uh, I don't know. I'm thinking it probably will, but, you know, we'll find out. And we definitely know that it wasn't just a parlor trick, him crushing those walnuts. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I just uh, I thought it was cool because I was like, okay, we know the glove works, and mm-hmm. I feel like there's going to be more to it. It's going. I mean, that doesn't seem like a big enough reason for the fireman to make him go get the glove, um, right. unless it was to save his friend James. I mean, unless that's the the whole point of the of having the glove. But um, and I just love the the that the record scratched when. When he used it, I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not not that we haven't seen it before, but I still just thought that's kind of cool. Hell yeah, if you use a pile driver inside a building, you're going to make a record skip. You're, yeah, absolutely, even an <laughs> MP3. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's some power. Damn. Yeah. That's a hell of a glove, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you ready for the next scene? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the Las Vegas FBI field office, Wilson tells Headley that Douglas Jones and his wife Jane are ready for questioning. So Headley asks him any trouble. Wilson says no, but the kids aren't too happy. So Headley goes, kids, uh, plural, kids. Uh. So he walks into the interrogation room to find they have picked up a completely different and wrong Douglas Jones. It's an older man with his wife and probably four or five kids. So Headley yeah. closes the door, rushes down the hallway, yelling, Wilson! <laughs> it's uh, funnier when you tell it than it is in the show. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. It's like, uh, yes. I guess, um, yeah, Wilson is uh, Headley's uh, punching bag or volleyball. Ha, ha. Okay. Right. Yes, okay. Well, anyway. Or, right. or, oh, ah. Uh, or that was a... Just, uh, <laughs> He, he's just a, a shitty cop, like most cops. <laughs> I guess. Uh, Couldn't solve a crime to save his life. No, apparently not. And and he's an FBI agent. You'd think he'd be a little smarter yeah, than that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm well. sure there's dumb as mud FBI agents, too. Well, that's true, you know. <laughs> so, ready for the next scene. Wow. On some, we move. Some serious shit went down in the next scene that mm-hmm. was completely unexpected. So, Duncan Todd is in his office, and he calls Roger to come in for a minute. Roger, who we've seen multiple times, uh, enters. Uh, Duncan Todd says, have you heard from Anthony? And Roger says, no, sir. Todd says, well, find him for me now. And then, completely out of the blue, Chantal walks in, shoots Duncan Todd in the face, and Roger in the chest. She leaves. She hears Roger wheezing horribly. Comes back into the room, finishes him off, and then leaves. So at that, and as she's leaving, she's talking on the phone to apparently Hutch, and she goes one down and one to go. And uh, then she asks him to order her some French fries with extra ketchup. So very shocking scene there. I was like, <laughs> "Whoa, where did this come from?" And right? who, who ordered the hit? Oh, it was it was definitely um, Bad Cooper. You think so? Oh yeah. Hmm. I mean, yeah, Chantel and, and Hutch are, are told what to do by Cooper. Right. He told them to kill the the warden, and they did. And and then I think he said, I'll be calling you about some other folks or some ah. other people, too, or something. Okay, yeah. There's another so. scene later that makes me think that maybe it could have been somebody else, but we'll get to that. Oh, okay. E- even though it seems unlikely, but uh, uh, all right. So, okay, well, yeah, I mean, it it moves on to the next scene, which is like, is that the Twin Peaks Police Department? Mm -hmm. And Bobby and Hawk escort James and Freddie to their cells. The drunk Chad and Nato are still there. The Asian eyeless woman. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Hawk informs them that the guys Freddie took out are both in intensive care. Hawk and Bobby leave. James notices Nato, and he says, What the hell? <laughs> so, I think when they come in, Ch- doesn't Chad say something to Freddie like, like uh, It's weird glove guy or something. Oh, like I think that. you're right. 
Yes. Okay. I'm glad you remember that. Yeah. I think he says, he says like, hey, Green Glove or some shit. I thought that's, yes. that's pretty damn funny. That is. That's hilarious. That's true. So anyway, NATO starts chattering. And of course, what happens? The drunk starts mimicking her. And then, of course, Chad goes, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. End of scene. That was that. That was more of a palate cleanser than anything. Because, I guess right. Because then we cut back to Chantal and Hutch are in the van eating burgers. Boy, they love that fast food. So Hutch discusses how the government does it all the time. People get paid for it too, just like us. Chantal agrees. Two faced fucks. Hutch continues. <laughs> so called Christian nation. Might as well be thou shalt kill. Show no mercy. Forgive no one. Fuck him in the ass. It's a nation of killers. Killing all along. Killed damn near all the Indians, didn't they? And Shanta said, yeah, but my fun's over when we actually kill someone. It's no fun torturing a corpse. I haven't got to torture anybody in a fuck of a long time. Hutt says, just hadn't worked out lately. So she complains about the little ketchup packages. She doesn't like those. Apparently she likes those peel back kind. I don't know. So, uh, so you know what I wrote for that scene? What? Chantel, Chantel and Hutch yawn. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's about right. Because then she asks if he remembered the dessert, which he replied in the affirmative. Uh, she's happy. Says it's a beautiful night. Look, there's Mars. <laughs> End of scene. So, okay. So for this reason... I'm thinking that the hit was called in by Bud Mullins because of the line that Hutch says, talking about uh, people get paid for it too, just like us, meaning they kill people for money, and anybody who asks them to kill someone will do it. So anyway, that's why I thought maybe Bud Mullins was behind the uh, the, the hit on uh, Duncan Todd, but that's oh. kind, that's probably not true. I think it's you know there's a there was that scene with Roger and uh, Duncan Todd where uh, mm-hmm. Roger asked Duncan Todd about or they have some kind of conversation and Duncan Todd says don't ever put yourself in a position like I did mm-hmm. and and it was pretty much a presumed when he said that that he's under the control of uh, Bad Cooper yeah uh, of the doppelganger so. I'm pretty sure that that because they had something to do with Anthony, that that's all connected. I'm, yeah, they'll probably come after Anthony next. Well, that's very likely, and uh, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. It just for some reason it gave me pause. That isn't it convenient that you know after all of the resolution with uh, you know Anthony that all of a sudden Duncan Todd is 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 killed. But you're probably right. It was probably uh, Cooper since. Cooper, bad Cooper is associated with Chantal and Hutch that it more than likely was Cooper who called the hit on Duncan Todd. That was my presumption, but yeah, could be wrong. It just happens that uh, Bud Mullins is an uh, unintentional beneficiary of uh, that that hit. Right, 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 right. Okay. All right. On to the next scene? Okay. Well, the next scene gets a little interesting. Yeah, it does. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, it's like, wow, this could be a Big turning point for Good Cooper. Yeah. All right. So first, though, we've got to watch him eat cake for about two minutes, which is the <laughs> most excruciatingly <laughs> disgusting thing. Jesus. 
You know, it's so horrible, it doesn't even make me want chocolate cake. Usually I see someone eating chocolate cake. I'm like, fuck, I want some chocolate cake. Right. But when I see Doug eat chocolate cake, I'm just like, oh, God, that's the most, oh, it's like watching your dad eat fucking chocolate cake. Right, because, you know, it's that it's that open mouth chewing that's so disgusting. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. So you're... <laughs> All right, so... In the Rancho Rosa housing development, Janie E. brings Dougie some chocolate cake. Oh, joy. He eats it while she admires him. She then leaves. Here's the thing, thing, man. With Lynch, you never know. Am I going to have to watch this motherfucker eat the whole piece of chocolate cake? You just never know with Lynch (laughs) how long you're going to have to watch it. At least he didn't do an extreme close-up of his mouth. So that was one saving grace. Uh. So, yes. um, so Janie uh, E. leaves the room, and Dougie, uh, Good Cooper, uh, is sitting at the table, and he moves an avocado-shaped pepper shaker close to the TV remote. And See, now, I thought it was uh, owl-shaped. Oh, hmm. See, for some reason, I thought it was kind of shaped like that uh, Philip Jeffries machine, almost. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. And he re- so he moves that uh, avocado-shaped or owl-shaped pepper shaker close to the TV remote, and he starts pushing buttons on the TV remote. The TV turns on, and what movie is on the TV playing? Why, it's Sunset Boulevard. And, of course, uh, anybody who's seen that movie, one of the characters in the movie is named Gordon Cole, which definitely rings a bell in Dougie Good Cooper's mind and he starts paying very close attention to it it almost like jogs him a little bit yeah they're talking about getting the gang back together or something and i thought for a second that was going to be what was you know going to interest him this idea of getting the gang back together i can't remember what what term they used but i thought oh is that going to ring a bell for him but then all of a sudden uh get gordon cole and you're like oh fuck (laughs) right yeah i mean so those two together, getting the gang back together, and the name Gordon Cole used in the same sentence, you know, definitely seemed to jog something in, in, in Dougie's mind. So he then looks at the electrical outlet, mesmerized. <laughs> he crawls to it, fork in hand. He tries to shove the fork, the tine side of the, the fork into the plug to no avail. He then turns the fork around and shoves the fork handle into the socket, Shocking himself and tripping a breaker, Janie E. screams in the kitchen. So Sonny Jim says, Oh, yeah. What's happening, Mom? Or something like that. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> all right. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, we're yet to see what happens, what the outcome of that is. Is that going to shock Dougie back into the the mindset of Good Cooper? Or is that going to knock him out and... He'll be in the hospital for a while, or what? Just what's the right. next scene? Yeah, maybe he'll be. You know, yeah, we'll see him in the hospital, maybe in a unconscious or in a coma or something for a little while, and then when he wakes up, he's you know back to a hundred percent Cooper again. But yeah. uh, that remains to be seen. So we'll see. All right. Uh. So ooh, the next scene. Very Let's important. See. Do you want to? Do you want to read um, all of her lines? The log lady. A yes. dramatic reading. <laughs> okay. So let me set it up for you. Okay. Um, at the Twin Peaks Police Department, log lady Margaret Lanterman calls Hawk, and she says. <laughs> 
I, well, she says, Hawk, I'm dying. And then doesn't he say, I'm sorry, I'm Margaret. sorry, Margaret. Yeah. yeah. And she says, you know about death, that it's just a change, not an end. Hawk, it's time. There's some fear, some fear in letting go. Remember what I told you. I can't say more over the phone, but you know what I mean from our talks when we were able to speak face to face. Watch for that one. The one I told you about. The one under the moon on Blue Pine Mountain. Oh, man. Hawk, uh-huh. my log is turning gold. The wind is moaning. I'm dying. Good night, Hawk. Oh. Yeah. And he says, good night, Margaret. Pause. And hangs up. And then, it's, yeah. Goodbye, Margaret. Oh, man. Wow. That was a killer. I, yeah. I actually sobbed a little bit right there when he said goodbye, Margaret, because I, I know it was just so simple. And, you know, it yeah. was there was no big dramatic, la, 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 you know, it was just Mm-mm. goodnight, Margaret. Yeah. Goodbye, Margaret. And right. It just breaks your heart, but, <laughs> you know, also fills your heart at the same time. Right. <sighs> and, 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 you know, and the very fact that you know that uh, Catherine Coulson the actress playing uh, Margaret Lanterman you know died probably shortly after filming those scenes that uh, right it, and it, and it, knew she would right, you know that it, it you know? adds a, a whole different layer of <clears throat> reality to the to the to the scene in a way yeah yeah how does an how does a person actress or not you know and and Catherine Coulson is an actress but i mean she's not Meryl Streep. She's not someone who's been in a thousand things, right. you know. But how do you, as a person who happens to be in a TV show, mm-hmm. sit there with a camera on you and say, "I'm dying"? When you're dying in real life, I I don't know how somebody does that. It, I unless know. I mean, it's just the artistic, you know, the the whatever of it, the artisticness of it, the is is just so surreal yeah. that it's, it's almost unfathomable. Yeah, I mean it's you know. it's it's truly like last words for the ages. Uh, yes, you know, preserved forever. You know. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, I just can't imagine being her and then doing that scene. I I don't know how you get through that scene. Yeah, I don't I know. know how you say those lines out loud. And not only I'm sure Lynch made it. You know, there wasn't a thousand people on set probably, but no, I'm you know, sure. there's still mm-hmm. more than just Lynch and a camera on sitting there probably there's you know the sound guy and the all the other people who make a tv show and i just don't know how you do that right it's amazing yeah what a what an amazing testament to her you know talent and fortitude as a person yeah i yeah i yeah i i I can't imagine doing a scene like that yeah that's uh yeah i I I don't think I don't think ninety nine percent of the people in the world and probably ninety nine point nine percent could could do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think most people could do it. It it's 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 brave on a level that that yeah. the word braveness does not yeah. encapsulate what it really is. It's beyond brave. So right, yeah, well, what a great scene, and it was just hard not to. Mm-hmm. to have an emotional response to it you right. know especially if you're a yeah. fan of the show and i mean who doesn't love who, whoever loves the show loves the long lady yeah there's no there's no liking twin peaks and, and nobody watches twin peaks and likes it and goes you know i really like twin peaks except for the log lady i could take her or leave her i don't <laughs> care nobody says that no and everybody loves the log lady right now i I don't think she would have done that for just anybody else i think oh, yeah. just because of the relationship that 
David Lynch and and Catherine Coulson have had for so long, uh, you know, on a professional level, and and as friends, you know, from the early days of his career and her career, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, from Racerhead, you know, you know, from the beginning of his career. Right. So, I mean, there was a a level of trust between the those two that you know made yeah, that would made be- this possible. Yeah. That would be interesting to know is, did she say, I want to do a scene like this? Did he say, I want you to do a scene like this? Did he write the dialogue or Mark Frost or did she? How do you write for your friend who is dying a scene where they say, I'm dying? Right. You know, that's so it's just it's just on a level above Mm -hmm. what most of us could do in life. Right. You know, it could have been a collaborative effort of how they wanted to uh, do things. You know, she had input into how she wanted to say things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe. Who, who knows how that evolved. Right. Well, maybe but, Lynch will, in an interview, maybe, someday, discuss that. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe someone else. Well, um, that's true. Because he doesn't like to talk about things, but... Well, Yeah, I just... Yeah. I mean, and when all is said and done, what an amazing, you know, monument, memorial, whatever word you want to throw at it, to to Catherine Coulson and to that character. What an amazing... Yeah, perfect crystallized moment in time for that character and for her as a person. It Mm -hmm. it it hardly ever gets better than that. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so that that same emotion gets carried over into our next scene Uh, at the Twin Peaks Police Department conference room. Sheriff Truman sits in subdued lighting at the conference table, looking at the screen of his laptop. Bobby enters, followed by Lucy and Andy. Truman asks, what's up? Bobby replies, Hawk intercommed us, told us to meet him here. So Hawk enters the door at the opposite end of the conference room, pauses, and says, Margaret Lanterman passed away tonight. Lucy says, the log lady's dead? And you see tears well up in her eyes. So everyone silently stands, eyes down. Truman removes his hat and stares at the opposite wall. Cut to a cabin in the woods with the lights on. And then and then in a moment, the lights go out in the cabin. Yeah. Wow. That was an amazing scene. Mm-hmm. That was a wonderful end. That little period exclamation point to the end of that scene too. Yeah. S- you know, establishing shot for her for her house for her cabin in the woods. Yeah, and then the lights go down. Right. Um, yeah, just, that was just neat. I was, think it's neat too that you know mm-hmm. one of the things we learn in the Twin Peaks, uh, the Secret History of Twin Peaks, a novel by Mark Frost, yeah. is that Harry and Frank Truman's dad, Fred, mm-hmm. was the sheriff before they were. Right. It's like a family business. Yeah, <laughs> and so. So, you know, we keep in my mind, I keep thinking that um, Frank Truman, which is played by Robert Forrester, mm-hmm. you know, is not from Twin Peaks. Like because he's new to the series, you think of him as being new to the town. Right. And he's not. He's lived there all his life. He knows he knows who the log lady is. You know, he's he, it's not like it's she's someone that doesn't mean anything to him, too. He knows the log lady. Right. And, yeah. you know. He probably grew up with her. Yeah. Though he was not one of the kids abducted in the forest. <laughs> no, apparently not. No. So. <laughs> that was her, uh, Carl Rod, and some other guy who, a uh, name I don't remember, who is not significant to the series because he apparently, according to the Secret History of Twin Peaks, died in 1988. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they ever say who it was, or if they do, it's someone uh, yeah, it that w- doesn't 
seem recognizable. Right. Exactly right. Yep. So let me say this. Uh-huh. That after after that scene, you know, a lot of time, a lot of directors, that would be the last scene of the, of the episode. That would be where it ends. Uh, um, no. But not with Lynch. No. Nope. Uh, yes. This tr- next scene. Yeah. So like, there was a TV show. Uh, actually, when mm-hmm. I was in my twenties, the the TV show General Hospital, the soap opera, uh-huh. introduced. Uh, this is going somewhere. I, I, this is not a completely slippery slope. Only okay. a little. All right. Only a little. <laughs> introduced a gay teenage character. This is in like nineteen, and he's played by Ryan Phillippe. So I think it was around nineteen ninety, ninety two, maybe, maybe eighty eight. Okay. Um, Ryan Phillippe was like a teenager at the time. Okay. So he, he played this gay teenager and as this, as, which was like the first gay character on a soap opera ever, I believe hmm. as, as the, or at least the first gay, as the series progressed, they, they got more and more. He came out and they had more and more talk about gay issues and things like that. Around that time, the AIDS quilt was a big thing. So it may have even been. 88 89 mm-hmm. um and they had this wonderful episode where uh the, his character and the the priest their episcopalians the episcopalian priest from the church he went to mm-hmm. and a couple other people go to washington dc when the aids quilt is there at the dc mall and and they did a whole <clears throat> show about that except on that same show they mm-hmm. had another character who was a complete bitch bitching about whatever was going on in her character's fucking drama okay so it was like this wonderful amazing first time on tv where they're really talking about the aids quilt and it's i mean this is during the Ra- it must have been 88 it's during the reagan years you know when reagan right. couldn't even say the word and and you know it's this amazing moment on television where they address aids for the first time yeah. and it's this beautiful heart rend- you know heartbreaking uh, amazing moment mm-hmm. where during the whole hour they cut between that and this bitch character bitching all the time ah okay kind of ruins the mood of uh, uh, the previous scene right and, and so it went back and forth <laughs> during the whole hour that okay. was the only two storylines oh. that whole hour the aids quilt and this bitch ah and so and that's how i felt here <laughs> <laughs> so you're equating the next scene of this one to that okay i can see that yes. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> I wish they would have just ended with the log lady house lights going dim. Yeah, that 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 would have been a beautiful way to end that the particular episode. But no life in Twin Peaks goes on. All right. So the next scene is Audrey and Charlie are preparing to go out. Charlie He's has still sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, yes, yeah. Char- so Charlie has his coat on. Looks like he's ready to go out. So yeah, Audrey said, "I'm just tired of waiting for the phone." Billy hated that place, but oh, you got your coat on. <laughs> and he's like, "Of course I do. We're going out. We're going to the roadhouse. I need my coat." Yada yada yada. And she's like, "Yeah, well, yeah. I just." She seems confused. You really, you you really are something, Charlie. What the hell? And Charlie says, "Put your coat on, Audrey. It's our." Audrey, it's already late and I'm so sleepy. (laughs) 
<laughs> let's go. And Audrey's like, would you just stop complaining? God, what a pain in the ass you are. I mean, can't you just do something for someone else without ruining ruining it by continuing complaining? You're such a whiner. It's like being with a sick dog. <laughs> Charlie maintaining his cool, apparently. Are you going to put your coat on or talk me to death right here on the threshold? And she's like, you know what? She said, you know when Billy and I go places, he never speaks to me that way you do, Charlie. Charlie said, yes, well, I am Charlie and he is Billy. And she's like, and I like Billy better. And he goes, sensational. Now, are you going to put your coat on or shall we stand here all night? Apparently, they're going to stand there all night. So she goes, here you go again. You can't stop for one fucking second. He's like, Audrey, seriously, in one fucking second, I'm going to take my coat off and staying in for the night. You're the one who wanted to go to the roadhouse, not me. She goes, it's impossible, I mean. I see it right before your eyes. I see it right before my eyes, but I never really saw it before. It's absolutely fucking impossible. He says, what is it now, Audrey? You, Charlie, it's you. I just never really saw you before the way I'm seeing you now, like I'm meeting a different person. Who are you, Charlie? And so he's had enough, and he says, Okay, off comes the coat. So Charlie walks to the couch, sits down. Something in Audrey snaps. She runs over to him, jumps on top of him, grabs him by the throat, yells, How can you be like this? I hate your fucking guts. She begins strangling him. He's coughing. She's like, I hate you. Do you know how much I fucking hate you? Wow. So (laughs) is Audrey killing Charlie as we speak there? So Well... I, I don't think her hands can get all the way around that little fat neck, but maybe they can. <laughs> he has a neck? I thought she well, was... yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. keep squeezing somewhere between his ears and his shoulders. <laughs> yes, you'll get there. Uh, so, so, one of two things, right? Uh-huh. I mean, uh, one of the fan theories I read is that sh- that he's gaslighting her somehow. You right. Know, this whole idea that he's going to go outside and then she, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then he doesn't and, and, you know, somehow he's gaslighting her. That was my fan um, theory a couple of weeks, a couple of episodes ago. I think, yeah, you said that. I've read that online since then, oh, too. Yeah. really? Okay. Um, okay. Hmm. But to me, I started thinking, hmm, she hates Charlie but likes Billy. Yeah. Are they the same person? Is he Billy sometimes and Charlie other times? Ooh, wow. (laughs) Well, that would make sense of the line. Um, Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, she says, I just never really saw you before the way I'm seeing you now, like I'm meeting a different person. Who are you, Charlie? Yeah. I think that's probably when I thought, hmm, what if Charlie and Billy are the same person? Wow. Wouldn't that be interesting? Because, you know, something's definitely up and and right. he, either he is complicit in something or he is innocent and she's just a nut or, you know, yeah. who knows? But I don't know, man. Whatever they do, you know, of course, we're all just wanting to find out what the fuck's going on. That's what everyone wants to know. It's a great mystery. But uh, um, yeah, we'll just have to keep waiting. I mean, we've only got three more episodes. Hopefully we'll find out what the fuck's going on with that. Right. Yeah. Or maybe Charlie, maybe Charlie works for uh, Doppelganger. Yeah. Somehow keeping her in this weird state of of uh, uneasiness and crazy you know, feeling crazy and shit. So whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, um, everyone calls, uh, bad Cooper, the doppelganger. They, nobody calls him by name. They don't, they don't call him all. They call it. They call him boss man or, or different mm-hmm. things, but nobody's ever given him a name other than the Philip Jeffries machine said. So you are Cooper, but well, doesn't uh, Richard tell him that when they're, when they're in the parking lot, 
Oh, the convenience store? Well, he says you're Cooper, but Cooper doesn't, but Bad Cooper doesn't say he is. Oh, good point. Doesn't admit to it. Right, right. I mean, maybe Audrey knows Bad Cooper is Billy. I just don't know. Wow, yeah. You know, Hmm. could be anything. Could be anything. Yeah, yeah. Just have to tune in tomorrow for another exciting episode. (laughs) Yeah, only time will tell. Of Audrey and the little sleepy man. <laughs> He's so sleepy. So uh, sleepy. It's funny because people say I'm tired. You know, I'm tired. I don't uh-huh. want to do this. I'm tired. Nobody says I don't want to do this. I'm sleepy. I know that's 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 like a that's like a child's word. You know. Yeah. So sleepy. Yeah. This is weird. Right. So all right. So we want uh, to cut to the next scene. Yeah, we, um, uh, Audrey and Sleepy Boy don't go to the roadhouse, but we do. Yeah, we sure do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if, we don't know if Charlie will ever go anywhere ever again. He might be dead. Right, yeah. We don't know. He might be. Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out. So, at the roadhouse, the Vales are performing a song called Axolotl. Okay. Yes, and so while the song plays, which, uh, as I recall, was kind of interesting... There's a girl, uh, credits say her name is Ruby, sitting in a booth alone. Two bikers walk up and stare at her, trying to get her to give up the booth. She says she's waiting for someone. So they gently but firmly pull her out and set her on the floor. (laughs) She sits there brooding, then slowly crawls her way into the crowd, tears up, and then begins screaming uncontrollably. (laughs) And, uh, so yes. uh, I was like, you know, obviously the immediate thought is she's angry at the guys who have put her on the floor and treated her like dirt, uh-huh. and, you know, and, uh, oh, you know, it very subtly overpowered her, shown their power over her, showed her that she's nothing and and removed her. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, it's it's a scream because of that. And, Part of a, it. you know, we, we presume a scream because that happens to her a lot. It's, you know, she's reached a breaking point where uh, she's been trod upon so many times mm. that she just lets it all out. Mm-hmm. But I also thought it was a great scream at the loss of the log lady. You know, the world doesn't oh. have the log lady in it anymore. If there was ever any reason to scream, that's as good as any. Wow. Um, so I yeah. thought that was, you know, that was like a pain cry for all of us. Hmm. You know, we've lost the log lady. Twin right. Peaks is never going to be the same. That's Why true. not scream? Well, now that you mention that, was she kind of dressed a little bit like the log lady? Oh, that's interesting. She had, I know she had glasses and like a sweater, but I don't know. <laughs> I, might uh, yeah, have, I might have to rewatch it now. <laughs> that's really interesting. Well, mm. after I watched that and, of course, watched the credits, the actress playing that part is an actress named Charlene Yee. Mm-hmm. And she uh, was in a movie with Michael Sarah, who was also in Twin Peaks. Oh, my God. He sure was um, for a horrible scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's in a movie with him call, uh, called um, Paper Hearts, which is not, uh, not a very good movie. I didn't care for it. And uh, she's been in some other things. Oh, she was in House. In the last season of House, she was one of the new... Um, interns? Um, interns, Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, so she's a familiar actress. She's been in things. She's a really interesting actress, although I didn't like her in Paper Hearts. I really liked her in House, and she's been in a couple other independent movies. She's 
you know, somewhat famous, I guess you would say. But I didn't even snap that that was her until I read the credits. Although ah, she okay. looked very similar. You know, she wasn't disguised in any particular way. Hmm. Um, she wears glasses usually. But I just right. thought it was cool that that it was her. I didn't even snap to the Michael Sarah connection. I wonder if hmm. somehow Lynch met her when he met Michael Sarah. Because I think I think her and Michael Sarah may have even dated for a while. Oh, um okay well that could definitely put them in the same orbits together yeah so hmm, interesting i just thought i thought that was a really cool end you know we've had all these different things where bands play at the end but right uh lynch changes it up every once in a while and that was certainly just kind of seemed random but yet to me it was definitely a pain cry for the for the darkness in the world without the log lady in it yeah i mean it, it probably would have made been a lot clearer had that audrey scene not been in there if they would yeah have i wish it just moved have moved that scene to before the log lady scene right exactly so uh, anyway it, they, they did doing what they the did. audrey scene as the last scene Right, yeah, that would have been, yeah, that probably would have been better. So, anyway, after the credits rolled, um, it said, in memory of Margaret Lanterman at the end. Yes, which is interesting, which is the name of the character Log Lady. Right. Uh, the, the character's name, so, uh, because he had, had done in memory of Catherine Coulson after one of the first episodes when she was in it. Oh, okay. I guess he didn't want to repeat himself. Right, um, okay. And. And it's certainly the Log Lady is such a pivotal character for Twin Peaks that true so worth mentioning. So yeah, you know Margaret, then, you know Margaret Lanterman, Catherine Coulson, one and the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, Margaret Lanterman, Catherine Coulson, the Log Lady, right? Margaret Coulson, exactly, <laughs> four and the same. Yeah, um, exactly, right? And. And then, of course, he did the thing, too, where instead of just having the band play with the credits roll, we got another shot of that motor court, that 60s motor court in black and white. Yeah, that's right. Just a, they did. Interesting shot. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. Great episode. I mean, I even though the Audrey thing is frustrating and not my favorite part of the show, Yeah, uh, this was another episode that I thought was really great. Lots of stuff is starting to happen. Mm -hmm. We're definitely... You know, getting towards some sort of, as we've been saying, it's all leading up to something. You know, it's all converging. It definitely um, is. And, well, hopefully that whole Audrey thing will actually, you know, tie in and make sense, you know, in with the whole story at some point in time. I mean, it's happened before where we've been frustrated with certain characters for the whole series and all of a sudden, you know, our opinion changes all in one time. But right. It, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take yeah, a lot, though. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly definitely interesting when you come up with these theories of what's going on with Audrey. Is he gaslight? You know, is he mm -hmm. is he an evil character or is she just a harpy and he's just at his last nerve with her or or, you know, is he gaslighting her? Is she is she delusional? Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's so many things that we don't know that it, it's certainly interesting. I certainly want to know. I'm certainly going to tune in next time. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we we definitely got clarification from her son himself that she is, in fact, uh, his mother, Richard yes. Horn's mother. Yes. And now Richard Horn and the doppelganger are together, and that could right. be amazing, you know? Because yeah. it, it doesn't appear to be that he knows that Bad Cooper is his father. Of course, we don't necessarily know that ourselves at this point. Right. 
But we definitely have uh, some serious suspicions that he is. I mean, what's also interesting is one would presume that since the doppelganger seems to know everything, Mm -hmm. that if Richard Horn was his son, you know, he would know that. Well, it's true, and that's probably why he didn't kill Richard Horn for it's pulling a possible for pulling yeah, a gun yeah. on him. You know, right? Yeah, he, he could have very easily done so. So, yep, true, true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that will be interesting too, just to learn. I mean, who you know is that his son? And if it is, who knows that? But does does the doppelganger know that? One right. would presume, but does Audrey? One would presume too, because I don't think. But I don't know the Billy Zane character. And her may have had sex too, supposedly. So, well, I don't think Aud- Audrey was a good girl. So, right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that she's having sex with a character named Billy, and yeah, the uh, the guy she had the thing for was played by an actor named Billy. Yeah. So yeah. I thought about that too. Hmm. I was like, oh, Billy, like Billy Zane, because yeah. I hated Billy Zane in the show so much. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, his his whole character was an afterthought just because of the whole diversion of Cooper hooking up with uh, Annie Blackburn. Because uh, Kyle MacLachlan did not want Dale Cooper to be with the high school girl. Right. So that's... Which was a good call, I think, on his part. Yeah, probably so. Yep. Unless, who do you think it is there has been the bad <laughs> Cooper all along? Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be something quite wild. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Three episodes to find out more. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, I know. It's yeah. <laughs> Some serious shit is going to go down for sure. Yes, indeed. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. All right. Cool. Fun episode. All right, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we can tie this up. We're at about uh, two hours and twenty-five minutes here. Yes. Yeah, sorry, man. No, that's, I, that's I, good. I talk a lot. That's a good length. That's a good length okay. for an episode. Yeah. It, that's not hard to edit. And they're four hours long. That's a different story. So anyway, all right. So uh, let me uh, just close this out here and say slide in next week with another fabulous episode of A Slippery Slope. Good night, Margaret. Goodbye, Margaret. It's beautiful. Investigation Special Agent Chet Desmond, Agent Sam Stanley. Sorry to disturb you, but we need to see Teresa Banks' trailer, please. Oh, shit. That goddamn trailer is more popular than Uncle's Day in a Whorehouse. You see what I mean? It just means I've more shit I gotta do now. Everything's exactly like she left it. I haven't touched a goddamn thing. God. Take a look at this. She's got the ring on. 
Well, I'm going to make myself a cup of good morning, America. You all want some? This stuff's got the sting of the 48-hour blend. <laughs> That's right. It's the best goddamn coffee you're gonna get anywhere, buddy. <laughs> we sure do need a good wake-me-up, don't we, Agent Desmond? We sure do need a good wake-me-up, don't we, Agent Desmond? Yeah, we do, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa Banks? gone places. I, I just want to stay where I am. How are you doing? Are you stopped a couple? Uh, I'm okay. How's Nadine? Well, she's in a coma. They say there's nothing we can do. She has to want to come back. How are you holding up? Well, all I could do is sit here thinking about the things I should have said or done. Ed, don't be too hard on yourself. I never believed in fate, Agent Cooper. Always felt you make your own way, you take care of your own, you pick up after yourself. Farmer's Almanac. Albert, I would like to speak to Ed. Albert, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. saw this coming. I didn't want to believe it. What's worse is I'm sitting here thinking that maybe that there's a part of me that didn't want to stop her. And that's a full load. When did you get married, Ed? Right out of high school. Norma and I had been together about four years and everybody figured we'd get hitched. That'd be that. I barely knew Nadine to say hello to. And that spring, one bad weekend. Norma ran off with Hank. I was so twisted up inside, I couldn't see straight. 
opened my eyes, there was Nadine right in front of me. And there was something so sweet, so helpless about her. We drove all night, ended up in some little town in Montana, out past Great Falls. And I asked her to marry me, half joking, half drunk, half crazy. It was life before we found the justice of the peace. And Norma, well, she hadn't even slept with Hank. And the look on her face when she found out. Nadine and I, we went up to my dad's old cabin up in Eagle Pass, honeymoon. I was hoping maybe we'd get around to talking about a divorce, annulment, something. But Nadine was so happy. And you know, by golly, I shot out Nadine's eye on that honeymoon. What do you mean, Ed? Well, the first day we were hunting pheasant. Nadine's a crack shot, and we already had a couple of birds. And I felt good shooting, listening to the sound echo and roll down those hills. I fired, and a piece of buckshot skipped off a rock and caught Nadine square in the eye. Man, that's a tough one. She laid across my lap as we drove back to town. She never cried. She never blamed me. She never hated me for it. A couple of months later, Norma married Hank. So I don't believe in fate. You make your bed, you sleep in it. 